Thank you. I'm so honoured by that. And uh, when you say people are family, sometimes you just say that, but I know we mean it. So uh, loving the journey we already started on. Yes, I'm not a pet guy. I apologise. Power to the pet people. That's my saying. You can love pets, and I love you for loving pets, but it's just not my thing. I get enough pet cuteness on the internet, and then I don't have to buy them food. And I probably cleaned up enough dog poo through my child years to last a lifetime, because we had a German shepherd that was a machine in and a machine out, and, and we had like both Judah and I, sometimes Elijah, he wasn't quite old enough, unfortunately, but we'd have like full plastic bags each, one on the hand, one to put it in, and we'd be so that dad could go mow the lawn anyway. We had to get them because if you miss one and you hit with a lawnmower, you're like, do I hope it's dry or do I hope it's wet? If it's dry, then that dust goes everywhere and dog poo gets in my lungs. If it's wet, then that means it's not really going to come off the blades or go anywhere. It's kind of just going to smear and probably get in my shoes and you just don't know what's worse. You don't talk to me about pets. This is where it goes. I have two announcements for you uh, before we jump into the word tonight. Number one, we will not be here at Friday Night Church next week. Now, some of you may be, but we are doing locals like we did last year, but with a bit of a twist every fortnight. So this week we're here, next week we're local. So if you're local to here and your church pastor or spiritual parent slash oikos leader has something going on here, then you will be here. But if, if not, then you need to talk to them and find out where you're going to be. If you're at Penrith, I know I haven't told you exactly what we're doing yet. That's why you need to come to church on Sunday. But uh, we, have, we have a plan. We're just polishing the details, but I'm really excited about the local stuff. So in two weeks' time, we're back here as normal. So we're massive and we're local and we're massive and we're local and we're massive and we're local. And speaking of massive, or I mean, that's an announcement at the end, but yeah, we've got a massive guest preacher coming in two Fridays' time. Pastor Troy Davis planted two churches up in Darwin and uh, he's a pretty cool guy. Awesome. Second thing is last week, who was a Vision Sunday? Awesome. There's a... There were so many cool things we talked about, but there's one kind of technical thing I need to just reiterate to you today to make sure that we're all on page. So we've made a change to our seed giving. So in the past, we've got our tithes, which is, you know, the 10%. That's what we give. And then we've got our seed, which is just anything above that that we want to be generous with and give to the, to the work of the kingdom of God. And so... What we've had is we've had our frontiers, our missions giving that's gone overseas to help all the people that we support doing international and sometimes remote Australian mission work. And then we've had our heart for the nation, also previously known as oxygen giving, which was giving specifically towards our building here to help pay off our loan for this building that we've done an awesome job with over the last 10 years and to free us up to be able to do more important things here. And so we thought more and more our seed giving across the oceans and our seed giving here is kind of going towards the same thing. It's about 
uh, meeting the practical needs so that we can get the gospel to people in that location. And so we thought rather than having all of these confusing things, especially to new people that join our church, it's like you can give to this or you can give to this or you can give to this. It's like let's just simplify it. We've got your tithes. And then we've got our seed giving. And our seed giving is still going to cover all of the things we've already been covering, but it's just simplified. Does that make sense? If you need more information, there's pledge cards that we have uh, in the foyer or the ushers will give one to you on your way out. And you can have a read through that. It explains it all pretty clearly on there. And then if you feel like you can commit to giving above and beyond seed a certain amount for the next year, can you fill that out and put it in the offering box up the back of the church? And at each location on Sunday, we'll have our little boxes up the back. And that just helps us plan on what we can do with our seating. So you can say, hey, yeah, I can give $50 a month towards that above and beyond my tithe. And then we can go, awesome. Then we can use that to do this in Cambodia. Or we can use that to do this in our location right here. It makes sense? That's what that's for. Sorry to take time, but I feel like it's important to make sure that's clear to everybody. I'm a details man, that's correct. So this year, our theme, our vision is going deep, stretching wide. But this term, to kind of ease us into this enormous theme that we're going to be unpacking all year long, we have this theme, very artsy here, is lift up your eyes. I like it. Lift up your eyes. And so today I'm going to bring my take on this topic for this term in line with our vision for the year. And I'm going to give you the scripture that this saying, lift up your eyes, comes from. And you can kind of have a bit of a, a, a glance at it. And, uh, and hopefully God speaks to you through what I say. So my theme for tonight, my title, if you want, for my message is, Have You Been Paying Attention? And I've made a slide. I'm pretty proud of my Photoshop work. Have you been paying attention? Attention is a funny thing. I've never really thought about it. I've never really paid attention to paying attention, but I have recently. And it's very interesting. If you've ever been attracted to somebody, you had a bit of a crush, or you've fallen in love, you would know that it is incredible how somebody can just hold your attention. It's like there's lots of things happening in the room, but all I care about is where is that person right now? What are they doing? Have they walked over there? Oh, they're talking to that person. Okay, they've dressed in this today. And all of these, oh, they've changed their hair color today. And all these things that you notice because you're paying attention to that person that you are interested in. And you are filtering out all of these other things. I remember, and, and I mean, it's Valentine's Day, right? So we've got to talk about this stuff. I remember when Geordie and I were getting to know each other, seeing whether we could get married. And I mean, it's a roller coaster trying to figure out the answer to that question. Do I want to marry this person? There's a fair few people in this room that are actually asking that question, which I think is pretty cool. But it's a challenge. It's like, this is maybe the biggest decision I ever have to make in my life. I mean, I'm following Jesus. That's a given, sure. But then who am I going to do that with? Because that could change where you do it and how you do it and to what capacity you can do it. For some people, it might even change that decision of whether you can serve God. So it's, it's an enormous 
decision to make. And so for me and Geordie, there were so many ups and downs in that season. And I had moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, I pretty like, I like her. I could see myself doing that. Oh, oh, I'm not really sure about that. No, I don't think I go. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yes, yes. No, 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 no. Yeah, definitely. This is it. I'm going to make. No, I cannot. Absolutely not. And you know those Rapunzel moments? This is the best day ever. I'm, I'm going to die. My mom. Like, I've, I've been Rapunzel, okay? I'll admit it. My emotions have been a roller coaster when I was deciding whether or not I wanted to marry Geordie. But I remember, and here's a little bit of a secret, don't tell anybody. Shh. But I used, when I was just confused, there was a particular photo of Geordie that I had. And I thought she looked damn fine. And I used to spend some time looking at this photo. And I was just... I wasn't thinking about all the details. I wasn't thinking about all this stuff. I was just paying attention to her. She just took my attention. She captivated me in this photo. And it was moments like that, not just the photo, but also in real life, where I would, we would just pay attention to each other. And you filter out all the junk and all the complicated stuff. And, and you realize that in this moment, when my mind's not getting in the way thinking... This is right. This, I can do this. I can commit to this. I, I am in. I am all in for this. You know, there's this psychological phenomenon that we all experience where if you're in a room of people and something funny or entertaining or meaningful happens, it's like one of those moments, <laughs> you know, Jesse's hilarious. That photo is hilarious. You see this image, there's a good chance, without even realizing it, you will look towards the person in the room that you think is the most meaningful to you. If you're with a group of friends and something hilarious happens, there's a good chance you will glance at the person in the room who is most meaningful to you. Now, you can use that information however you want. You, you, you might, it might help you figure out, do I like that person? Oh, yeah, I do like that person. Interesting. Oh, do they like me? Do they like me? Do they... Ooh, oh my gosh, they like me. And you might even have that moment where you both look at each other. Have you ever, who's ever, you might be married now, but you, you're, you were in a relationship and things would happen and then you just have that moment where you just, you connect and there's like that electricity and you're like, oh, we just had a moment. The universe just stopped because we shared this moment that happened right now. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've had this. You might not have known what it was, but it's a thing. And it's particularly disappointing if no one looks at you. <laughs> so <laughs> I apologize if you start to notice now and you're like, oh, that's, that's a real shame. Maybe you need to get in a room of different people. I don't know. But it's this whole idea of paying attention. And here's something about that. Paying attention is not processing information. So when you think you're processing information... And I'm a thinker, so I do a lot of thinking. But actually, to really pay attention, you have to not think. Because paying attention is gathering information. Really listening is not thinking about what my next reply is going to be. Because that's processing, that's thinking. Really paying attention and listening to somebody, you switch off here and you switch on here. And you switch on your eyes and you're observing this person or this situation or even yourself, 
and you're paying close attention. It's different to thinking. Once you've gathered the information, it's good to go and process that information. But if we never pay attention properly, we'll be processing information that is no good to us. So with all of that in mind, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. And we're going to go through this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. So we probably have the verses up on the screen, maybe if the BSB guys are legends. I did like give them a huge chunk of scripture and said, do what you can. But I'm probably not going to read it word for word. I'm kind of going to summarize. So if you want to follow along on your phone or your Bible or the screen or wherever it is, you can. Um, but pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm going to summarize the story. So at the beginning of chapter 4 in the book of John, we find Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus has realized that so his ministry is growing bigger. And it's, it's now so big that his followers are, dis, are baptizing more people than John the Baptist. I mean, this guy's known John the Baptist for baptizing people. And now you're baptizing more people than him. You must be pretty big, right? And so it's getting the attention of the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And Jesus, knowing that he's going to have to die one day and that these people are going to have to kill him, but he's going to have to time it right because he's got stuff he's got to do on earth before that happens. He's seeing, hmm, the temperature in here is turning a little bit, it's turning up a little bit too fast. So I'm going to have to get out of this place. And he says to his disciples, our presence here is causing too much attention. We're going to have to move on. So they're going to leave Judea and go back to Galilee, which is where they're from. But it says... And I think, yes, it's here. Awesome. So it says, he had to pass through Samaria. And in my translation, it says, Jesus knew that he needed to pass through Samaria. Now, that's a very interesting line. And you need some context to understand what that means. See, between Judah or Judea and Galilee was Samaria. And so it makes sense that the shortest path to get from one to the other is to go through there. But the problem is the Jews and the Samaritans do not like each other at all. They hate each other. And so Jews typically would go the long route around Samaria and avoid the Samaritans at all costs. But Jesus, being in tune with what his father wanted him to do, knew that he needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't because there was unplanned roadworks or the flood had flooded the bridge and they, now they had to, that's why he needs to go. That's not what happened. Jesus needed to go there because he knew that the father had work for him to do in that place. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Samaria. Rewind 600 years before Jesus around about 597 BC. And Judah, the kingdom of Judah, Israel's people, gets uh, sacked by the Babylonians. They take over, they defeat them, annihilate them, and they capture Israel and the people of Judah, and they take them back to Babylon. And this is where we see the stories of Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, the fiery furnace, or the big bunny if you watch VeggieTales. And so this is when that all happens, right, in Babylon, because the Israelites were taken out of there. But the thing is, the Babylonians were like, we don't want all of you. We just want the best ones. So they left behind the uneducated, the unattractive, the unskilled, the unsuccessful, the unhealthy 
Israelites. They left them all behind. Everyone who wouldn't have been picked for the basketball team, you know, when you have that, all right, yeah, we'll, all right, we'll have Cam. Yeah, what are you going to have? Oh, yeah, we'll have David. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 okay, we'll have that. But, and, oh, no, yeah, we're not going to pick. No one, you know, who's ever, who's ever been last picked? Oh, that sucks. David's been last picked. That's a, that's a surprise, but I'd pick him, but anyway. All the people who were last picked were left behind. And having no leaders, no skilled people, no education, these remaining Jews, they just kind of survived. And 600 years later, we find a people that have just married with other nations and other cultures, and they've mixed in what works, and they kind of got a bit, you know, a bit of an attitude towards the pure Jews that weren't half-breeds. And they kind of thought, well, this God, I don't know how good he is that we worship. So they kept some of their religion that they followed Yahweh, the, the, the one true God, but they also incorporated some other things when it was convenient. And so we find these Samaritan people, and they're like hybrid Jews that the Jews despise and think are unclean. But they're only that way because they were left behind. They were just the unfortunate people. And we have this class differential between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the Jews don't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans do not like the Jews. They don't even talk to each other. If they ran into each other, they wouldn't even acknowledge each other's existence. And I want to take a moment for a second, and I want you to think about classes of people. Maybe this is something you've never thought about, but It's inevitable that you have classes when you get people together because people are different and people like to group together. And you like to find your people, your tribe, your homies, right? And other people find their people. And it's very easy for walls to divide two different types of people. I went to uni for a couple of years and and it's very obvious that there's a certain attitude, not amongst everybody, so let's just talk in general terms, all right? There's always exceptions. But there's this academic mindset of whether academic whether educated class and you know I've got a uh, six double degrees and uh, first class honors and a PhD in pencil sharpening and and they they look down on the non-educated particularly the tradies like oh yeah they're the people that couldn't get into university you know we're the educated people we're solving the real problems and and they're just you know getting the leftovers you know but then it's funny because while I've spent time at uni, I've also spent time with the tradies. And I've, I used to paint houses for a while. I've washed trucks. I've delivered furniture. I've worked in a warehouse. I've worked with the blue collar and as a blue collar a fair bit. And again, in general, but not all, there's this attitude of like, oh, those snobs, those academics, man. They don't know what real life's about. They only got book smarts. They got no street smarts. Here, I'm making six figures here and I never went to do any of those stupid study crap. Sorry for the crap. On twice. Just beat that on the podcast. But this is blue collar we're talking about, all right? Yeah. And so it's funny to me how there's these two classes that can have these wrong opinions about each other because really they're great people on either side and we're all different and we're all doing our own thing. We, we can even hear it about where we live, you know. I've talked to some Windsor people, they're like, Penrith, what, is that a hole? And then you talk to some Penrith people, like, I've never even heard of Windsor, there's nothing out there. And then you talk to the mountains people, they're like, I don't go down the mountains. <laughs> and all of you that are here are obviously not those people, but the people that aren't here, yeah. There's this class thing. And I want you to have a think. Are there any classes of people, they're not your people, 
that you don't really want anything to do with. They might be a different ethnicity or culture to you. You might not even be able to understand their accent. They might smell funny. They might like things that you hate, like the pet people and the non-pet people. (laughs) Just an example. Because Jesus had an agenda in this story to break down some walls between classes. And so he deliberately said, let's go through Samaria. It's 8 o'clock and we're in like verse 4. Okay, let's keep going. So it's lunchtime and they get to a place called Sakar. It's like, like Sakar, that's how you pronounce it. It's S-Y-C-H-A-R. And it used to be called Shechem. Shechem, Shechem, I think it's called. Anyway, that place is very familiar if you read Genesis because Jacob and Abraham and Joseph all have things to do with this area. In fact, Jacob built a well and there's an altar to the law there. It's a very, very important area for the Jews and for the Samaritans that kind of retain that part of their culture. And so Jesus stops at this well, Jacob's well, because it's probably a good tourist attraction. And he says, hey, boys, it's hungry. It's lunchtime. Why don't you go into the town? And I'm going to rest here by the well for a little bit. So the disciples head on into town and Jesus is sitting there by the well. All of a sudden, a woman comes out to draw water. And we see that Jesus is paying attention. Now, I mean, he's probably exhausted. He's got a lot of biblical teaching. He's got a store up in here. He's probably got lots and lots of things to think about, like how to save the world. But he he decides to take the time to pay attention. And he notices, that's odd. It's 12 o'clock noon in the middle of the day. And a woman is coming out to draw water by herself. Now, I know women. And they don't do anything by themselves. They go to the toilet in groups. And if they're going to come out here and get water, they'll be doing it together. And they'll be doing it in the cool of the day, like early in the morning or late in the evening. It will make sense to do that, get the water for the day. But she's coming out at lunchtime by herself. It must mean that she's trying to hide something or hide from someone. Or maybe she's an outcast. Or maybe even we've got class between class differentials between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now we've got class differentials inside the Samaritans. Maybe this woman in her own people is segregated and divided. And so he, he does something which is actually astounding. And let's see if we've got the words for it. He says, give me a drink. Now, that sounds a bit rude, like, Jesus, man, calm down. That's like a bit, give me a drink, (laughs) mate. Maybe like, hi, I'm Jesus, how are you? No, give me a drink. Now, we go, oh, that's a bit. But actually, rabbis, Jewish rabbis, do not, under any circumstances, talk to women in public. Not even their wives. If I was a Jewish rabbi at the time of Jesus, I would not be allowed to talk to Geordie right now. We would have to wait till we got in the car or at home in a private place and then we could talk. You do not talk to women. If you are a Jewish rabbi, a man, you do not talk to a woman in public. But Jesus speaks to her and says, give me a drink. That right there is actually a huge act of respect to her. She went, you would talk to me? 
She knows who she is. She knows she's an outcast in society. And Jesus, paying attention to her, looking at her situation, he decides to interact with her. So she's actually flattered by this, but she's a little bit like, uh, how come, yeah, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So I've explained to you the context, so now you understand just how gobsmacked she is at this, that this would happen. Now, Jesus begins to have a conversation with her, and I'm not going to read through it now for the sake of time, but you can go through and read it yourself. There's about three more sermons just in their conversation together. But basically, Jesus reveals to this random Samaritan woman that he is the saviour of the world. Straight up, he tells her this, and he does it by fulfilling some prophecies that she knows exist. It's an awesome, life-changing conversation. Anyway, she's like, oh my goodness, you are the one we've been waiting for. You are the answer to our prayer. And she's so amazed by this that when the disciples come back, she's like a little bit awkward because here's another 12 men of Jewish ethnicity that I'm not meant to talk to, but this is the Messiah. And oh my goodness, are they as nice as him? I don't even know. And she leaves her water jar there and she just runs back into town. And the disciples are like, what's all this about, Jesus? And she runs into town and she's like, hello, everyone, everyone, anyone. She doesn't care about who she's supposed to talk to or not. She's like, come and see. This, this man told me everything I've ever done. And why that's important is because they believed that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be able to read the hearts, read what's written on the hearts of man. In other words, they will be able to tell you exactly who you are and what you've done. So the fact that she's saying this, she's ignoring whatever sin, because we know she's had five husbands and all this crazy stuff. She's ignoring that. Who cares about that? I'll just tell you. He's told me everything I've ever done. In other words, this is the one we've been waiting for. I found the answer. People, I found him. Me, I found the answer. You have to come and see this for yourself. And all of a sudden, all these people come out. They start to listen and they start to move. Now, meanwhile, we jump back to Jesus. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, so we picked up a couple of dinner boxes and there's really good 24 nugget deal. So we've got your lunch here and everything like that. And he's like, I don't need your food. I've got food that you don't know about. And Peter's like, what? What Did you order like KFC with Uber Eats or something? Kentucky Fried Camel? Because, I mean, we could have just done that. We wouldn't have had to go into town and go find the McDonald's in Samaria. And they, we know Samaritans, man. They don't clean that McDonald's. We, we're risking it eating here and we've got all this food. And you tell me, oh, man, I wish I knew that. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. My food is to do the will of the Father. Jesus said, I'm so satisfied. And I don't know if you've ever done something for God and felt that satisfaction that can literally cure physical hunger. I mean, we've been on Forever Free and there were sessions where we're just praying and God's doing incredible stuff and it's like, oh yeah, lunch. I I forgot about that. So Jesus, I can relate to Jesus. It's real, real stuff. But he, he takes the opportunity to gather his disciples. And you love these moments in the Bible where he's like, gather around. I've got something to teach you, disciples. Sit down. Have a seat. And he says this in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, here it is. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, 
so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which... Now, you need to listen to this, church. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Now, there was a saying back then, which Jesus says, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. And basically, that meant, look, don't be in too much of a hurry, because things simply take time. You can't avoid the waiting. And I think there are parts of our life where that's, that's wise. You can't, there's some things you just, they're out of your control. You can't speed them up and waiting is a part of life. But Jesus makes a point here and he says, but not about this, not about the harvest. Don't think, yeah, God, God's going to, he's going to do his thing and we'll just wait and eventually it'll happen. Don't stress about it. Jesus said, no, Actually, the harvest is now. And this, this verse right here, 38, I, I think this is prophetic for our churches. And you know, prophecy is not, it's not this like psychic, I'm going to read the future stuff. Prophecy is saying, okay, we're the church, you're God, what are you saying for us to do right now? That's what biblical prophecy is about. And this verse, Jesus says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor, Strong Nation Church. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And I believe, see, this is Jesus talking to his disciples 2,000 years ago, and it's really awesome to understand that context. But we're followers of Jesus too. And I think we can take this and say, okay, God, what are you saying to us right now? And I believe he's saying, you don't need to worry about sowing the seed because you're the reaper. Jesus is saying to his disciples, actually, the father's already sowed that seed. You don't have to go and sow seed and then wait. Okay, we're going to wait for that to grow and then hope and we'll harvest it later. He's saying, no, 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 no. When it comes to this particular thing, the kingdom of God, people coming back into the family of God, I've already sowed the seed. It's already been sown. It's already been growing, and now it's ready for you to reap the harvest so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Do you believe that? I really believe that for our church. And I think Jesus, in this story, he was using the woman to show the disciples what to do. Let's have a, a, a read. Let me pull it up. The verse 39, straight after this verse here. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. And let me establish this. When Jesus says, hey, lift up your eyes, look at the harvest, he was pointing to a field in which the Samaritans were coming from that town to them. So we had this double analogy parallel going on. Literally, he's saying, look, I can't make this any more clear for you. They're right there. They're about to come and talk to us. The harvest is now. And so we find out that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me all that I ever did, fulfilling the prophecy that they believed about the chosen one who would save the world. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. I have three quick points as I finish up tonight, and if the band wants to jump up. If you were paying attention, these are the three things I want you to take home with you. Because I believe this story, Jesus used this woman to show those that follow him what his plan is for harvesting. Number one, pay attention. Who in your world have you not been paying attention to that maybe God has got there for a reason? It's very easy to do life side by side with somebody, but not to actually stop and pay close attention to that person. Have you looked at the friends in your class at school and said, who are these people? Where have they come from? What do they want to do with their life? And what is their greatest need? The people you've worked next to for 15 years, have you ever actually paid attention to that person who is seeking and who is hungry for meaning in their life? I think this is a call for all of us, myself included, to start paying closer attention, to stop, to stop thinking, to take down our walls of culture and, and ethnicity and classes and social standing. Take all of that down for a second and say, that's a future child of God. This is a current child of God. And what can I learn about this person? Paying attention. Number two, we see the woman. Jesus paid attention to her. She paid attention to him. She received what he had to say to her. And she just has to tell people. So she runs into the town and she shares Jesus. She says, come and see. This man told me everything I ever did. Now, we know that Jesus is the answer that people are looking for. But let me ask you this. Do you know what the question is? Because for some people, they need to hear that Jesus can forgive you for everything you've ever done wrong. And he can take your shame and your guilt away. But for other people, they need to hear that Jesus is the purpose and the meaning that you have been searching for. And others need to hear, you know what, Jesus, he is your healer and your provider. Jesus is the answer, but do you know the question that that person is asking? That is how we can reach people. That's how we can actually share Jesus with people. Because we first have to pay attention to them. And then we'll know what their question is and we'll be able to give Jesus as the answer. The third one. The woman, she says, this man told me everything I'd ever done. And she says, come and see for yourselves. 
And I believe if we pay attention to people and make them matter to us, and we find a way to share Jesus with them that answers their question, not my question, but their question, we will form a relationship based on truth and trust and love. And there will be a moment where you can say, would you like to come and see for yourself? Hey, some friends of mine, we meet every Tuesday afternoon and we just talk about Jesus and we study what the Bible says. Do you want to come and see for yourself? Hey, my church family, we get together once a fortnight and we just have dinner and we just enjoy being part of God's family and we enjoy each, other, each other's presence and we eat awesome food. Do you want to come and see for yourself? Hey, as a church, we meet together on the weekends and we have a service with awesome music that just worships and glorifies God. And then we, we hear a word and get encouraged about how we can go and be a better Christian in the world. Do you want to come and see for yourself? I think it can be pretty simple. Three steps. It's nice. We like threes. Pay attention. Share Jesus. And invite them to come and see for themselves. Because you're the reaper. You're maybe not the grim reaper. Maybe you're the good news reaper. Put your title in there. You're a reaper. When it comes to souls, when it comes to people being brought back into the family of God, you're the harvester. That's who we are, church. He's done the sowing. He's working on hearts already. They're already ripe for the picking. They've got the questions ready and they're looking, where's the answer? And if we pay attention and share Jesus and say, "Come, do you want to come and see? Do you want to come and see for yourself? I think we will not be able to contain that kind of harvest. That's a good problem to have. And then we'll have a message about how to solve that problem. <laughs> Is that cool? Could we just take two minutes? And if you want to put your notepads down and your Bibles down and, and get things out of your hand, and, and we'll just let the musicians play. Can we take two minutes to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit might want to say to you right now? Yes, you can think about all of these awesome strategies and stuff, but let's... Let's think about that in a second, not right now. Let's just put our thinking and our mind managing out of the way and let's pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Because I've said a lot of stuff tonight and most of it you probably won't remember, but Holy Spirit's going to say, I want you to receive this. So let's do that. Let's take two minutes. You can close your eyes or you can get yourself into a position that's comfortable. The band's going to play and we're going to just pay attention to the Holy Spirit.